Okay, if you would please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 8 through 12. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Father, we covet the presence, the eye-opening experience of Your Holy Spirit as we delve into Your Word. May You protect me from speaking falsehood, May You give my lips clarity to say, re-say, and unpack, and expose what's here in the text to the salvation of Your people and the glory of Jesus in the midst of what we are doing this morning. Amen. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to go straight to verse 10. And then at the end, very briefly, I'm going to close with seeing the whole flow of the text with verse 10. So if you're there, Luke chapter 12, verse 10, Jesus says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And there are two other passages in the New Testament with Jesus saying essentially the same thing. First, Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 to 32. Therefore I tell you, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. In Mark chapter 3, Verses 28 to 29. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. People have ended up in mental institutions 
over these words. Satan quoted Scripture to Jesus. And Satan has used Jesus' words here to torment many Christians over the centuries. Now, these words concerning the unforgivable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit have had a number of interpretations. What does it mean, you know, over the centuries? For example, some say that this unforgivable sin is the sin of saying Jesus' works by the Holy Spirit in His ministry are of the devil. And therefore it could only have been committed during Jesus' earthly ministry. Others attribute this sin to mean those who keep resisting the Spirit don't believe in the Gospel and they die. It's too late now. They'll never be forgiven. And say, just It's dying in your sin without being saved. Some over the years have attributed it to murder or adultery. And some have held that this sin refers to very serious apostasy of genuine believers. So, before we now slowly try to consider what is Jesus saying, I want to just make this comment. If you have ever been tormented that you have committed this sin, and here's the point, that you're tormented over that because you want to be saved by Jesus, then you have not committed this sin. Those are lies. So, let's go do it. The sin's called the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So, for, what is blasphemy? Well, the, the word blasphemy, we get it from the Greek, blasphemeo. You can hear it right there. Okay, it just refers to one who hurls insults. It means to despise. It means to show disrespect toward the person or toward the object that you blaspheme. In the Old Testament, a Hebrew person could directly blaspheme by cursing the name of God, Yahweh or something, or could indirectly blaspheme, not by hurling any insults, but just by ignoring God's law, treating it with disrespect. Now, I'm just going to go, you probably just listen, because I'm going to go through a number of texts, just to get a taste of the word to blaspheme in its indifferent context in the New Testament. For instance, in Romans 3.8, Paul writes, And why not do evil that good may come? As some people blaspheme us. That's the word. Now, it's translated in ESV, not blaspheme, but slanderously charge us. In 1 Corinthians 10.30, Paul writes, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I blasphemed because of that for which I give thanks? Translated, why am I denounced? Okay, you hear the words are coming negatively at Paul. Ephesians 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. The word in Greek is blasphemeo. And all blasphemy. Whether it's towards other people or God. You can blaspheme. Titus 3.2 Paul writes, Speak evil of no one. Or it's literally, Blaspheme no one. Now, used of God in Revelation 13.6 we read, The beast opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name. Revelation 16.9 They were scorched by the fierce heat and they blasphemed. That means they cursed the name of God who had power over the plagues. In Titus chapter 2, verse 5, Paul writes to Titus about the women in the church that they be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands so that the Word of God may not be blasphemed by the public or reviled. Now remember, in Luke we saw, when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. What did they accuse him of? Blasphemy. They said, he blasphemed. Because he's making himself equal with God. So they had this idea, that that's blasphemy. The charge against Jesus before the Sanhedrin was blasphemy. Because he's saying, yes, I am the Christ. And they considered, no, you're not. Therefore, you're making a mockery of God. Blasphemy, Terry Rhodes. Okay, so there's the word. But now, as we come to the text, the sin is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, in wrestling with this, I have concluded that in order to come to some understanding of what Jesus means, I have to take into consideration all three accounts of it that I've already read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, in verse 10 of our text, in Luke 12, Jesus says, Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, that's Jesus Himself, will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, now here's the kicker at first, Here's the point. Will not be forgiven. Now, that that doesn't mean Steve won't forgive you. That means God won't forgive. And the most important news in the world for any human being is that God forgives me of my sins. Which means the future penalty... Punishment for my sins are removed. And Jesus says here though, God will never, ever forgive a person who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. Or here's Mark. Here's what we see in Mark chapter 3 verse 29. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness 
but is guilty of an eternal sin. So never here means never. Never ever. When God says, I will never forgive you, then there is no higher court to appeal to. Ever. If God says to you or to someone in His perfect justice, it's over. It's sealed. I will never forgive you. Then for millions upon billions of ages, His answer will still be, never. Jesus' words made it perfectly clear in Matthew 12, verse 32. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Either in this age or in the age to come. So therefore, at this point, a person who commits the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit stands guilty before God and under His impending wrath forever. Apart from the remedy of Jesus. So what is it? Turn to Mark. If you're not in Mark, go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 3. Start there. In order to understand what Jesus says in Mark's context, you have to understand it's coming in the context of what he said in verses 22 to 27. For instance, in verse 22, Mark tells us this. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying... Jesus is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he cast out demons. Then Jesus responds to them and he essentially says, that is utterly illogical. We saw Luke concerning this type of occasion. And then after he says that's illogical, pick up in verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And then Mark comments, for, meaning because, they were saying he has an unclean spirit in him. So, verse 30 right there, gives the reason why Jesus brings the issue of an unforgivable sin up. Because they were saying Jesus, not the Holy Spirit, but has an unclean, a demonic spirit. And this is what has led many to think that the unpardonable sin is attributing the works of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry to demons, Satan, unclean spirits. And it could only have been committed then. 
now. I don't, I, I'm just, I don't think that is that simple. That that's what he meant. What is clear from Jesus' words is that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it is connected to the Holy Spirit's testimony of Jesus. As He witnesses through Jesus' ministry of who He is, and Jesus constantly said words, just believe in the works. Here they are. They're right in front of you. Fulfilling Isaiah. God is confirming this is He. This is He. So there's this connection about the work of the Holy Spirit testifying to the Christ, the Savior, Jesus. But when you read what we just read here in Mark very carefully, just note Jesus did not say that these scribes, these Pharisees, have indeed committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Maybe they have. Maybe they haven't. What happens here is Jesus hears. He knows what's going on. He does this by Beelzebub, by Satan. He hears that and He responds with, I'm telling you, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. It's a warning. It's a warning. So again, maybe they have, maybe they haven't. But at least I think from this text we know this. If they hadn't yet, they're on the brink of it. And the dynamic of this sin has to do with rejecting the witness of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, as we just we're slowly going to go deeper. Okay, okay. Next step. What is it? Let me just say this. The unforgivable sin does not mean that God or Jesus will not forgive the sins of a truly repentant person who embraces Christ as their Savior. Yes, I believe that is not what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit means. It's not like, well, God says, oh, I'm sorry, Jane. I mean, I know, just like all these others, you have saving faith. You believe in my Son and you believe in the Gospel and your heart is wide open to Him. I know that, but... You remember that day? You blasphemed against the Spirit? Too late. Even though you believe in the Gospel, I'm not going to forgive you. That is not what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit means. That's not what Jesus is saying. Let's, if you're still in Mark, notice what Jesus does say in verse 28 of Mark 3. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemy they utter. Now, literally, in the Greek, he says, All things will be forgiven the children of men. The sins and blasphemies, whatever they, and he uses it again, whatever they blaspheme, all of them 
And we know the Gospel. That in order to receive forgiveness of your sins from God, we have to repent. Turn from them and trust in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus means what He said in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus means what we just read here in Mark 3.28. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men. And whatever blasphemies they utter. What, what, what do you mean all? What do you mean? He clearly means all sins and blasphemies from which people repent and turn to Christ for forgiveness for. Doesn't he? Okay. okay, so then, why does Jesus seem to exclude one sin from this gospel promise? The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It seems to make sense to me that the reason is that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit puts a person beyond repentance and thus beyond forgiveness. See, there are no exceptions to all sins will be forgiven those who repent. And have saving faith in Jesus Christ. There are no exceptions. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not an exception to the Gospel. Jesus is not saying all blasphemies that you repent of will be forgiven except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's not what He's saying. He's saying all sins and all blasphemies that you repent of, will be forgiven. But, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven because if you've committed that, it has put you beyond repentance. And thus, you won't be able to repent and be saved. See, it's simple logic. If a sin means that that sin has made it impossible for you to repent, then that is the unforgivable sin. Because forgiveness is promised only for those who genuinely repent. Then why can one blaspheme Jesus? Say all kinds of crude, horrific, untrue remarks about Him. Or the Father. Or blaspheme the Bible, the church, the Scripture. Why do those sins, according to Jesus, not put a person beyond repentance and forgiveness? Why this one particular sin against the Holy Spirit. Now, so, this is what seems to make the most sense to me when you take the Bible as a whole and understand the biblical parameters and theology that flows from what is happening in the Gospel and in 
salvation, and that's this. The Holy Spirit plays a unique and a decisive role in the salvation of persons. One can be an atheist and say all kinds of horrific things against Christianity, against the Lord Jesus Christ, against God, and it's bad and it's sin. Jesus even says this in our text, verse 10, everyone who speaks a word against me, Jesus, the Savior, the Son of Man, will be forgiven. The Father, the Godhead is here, right? There's only one God. And the Father has planned redemption. God, the Son, has carried it out and accomplished it in His incarnation becoming human and His substitutionary atoning death and His resurrection. He has, outside of any of us, purchased the salvation of all who will be saved. Well then, long be- that happened 2,000 years before I came about. Then that message of the work of salvation in Jesus Christ called the Gospel, the good news, is to go out and it's preached, it's told. And it comes to people even 2,000 years down the line. They hear it. And by it, come into the salvation that Christ purchased. But who does? Who comes into the salvation that Christ has purchased? We know that no one will be saved unless in the hearing of it, something happens with their heart toward it. They see the light of the beauty of Christ. They taste it as, hmm, that's good to my soul. And the way Jesus said it, it's like kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field. You, still, you see it. You go and you, I'll sell everything I have to get that. That's repentance. Of course, I don't, I'm awakened now. My eyes have been opened. Those are the people who are forgiven forever. They're being saved by Christ. And biblically, We know from the book that anyone's ability to experience that, to see and believe and repent and be saved, that is the unique role of God, the Holy Spirit. No one would ever be saved by the cross of Christ without the very intimate, life-changing, personal work of the Holy Spirit, applying the Father's plan and Jesus' accomplishment on the cross. It's the Holy Spirit's work that opens our eyes and grants repentance. And so, if we blaspheme Jesus, blaspheme the cross and the Bible, then there's still hope. Because the Holy Spirit may still work within us.
and humble us and bring us to repentance and faith and cling to Him. Just like He did to that horrific blasphemer, Saul of Tarsus. But, if we go on being privileged, like the context in the Gospel with Jesus, to see the confirming work and evidences of the Holy Spirit. And we go on and we're privileged to be tasting of the power of the preached Word for months, maybe years. And we resist and resist and reject. And keep straight arming the work of the Spirit upon our own hearts. And we come to the point where we cross over the line into the sin against the Holy Spirit. Then we are finally shut out. Shut out from the only one who could ever bring us to true genuine, saving repentance and faith. And thus we're shut off from forgiveness. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6 for a moment. A few decades later, the Holy Spirit has the writer to the Hebrews write this to us church-going people. Starting with verse 4. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. Don't, don't miss the grammar. Let me, let me miss, take out now all that stuff that's just defining. For it is impossible to restore them. Again, to repentance. They're gone. God will always forgive genuine faith in Christ. Genuine repentance. For some, they have tasted and tasted and tasted and seen and seen for many years the works of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. They've been in the midst of it, tasting the powers of the age to come and resist and resist and finally come to the place turn away 
not so great, it is impossible to bring them to repentance. It's clear that when a person dies physically, departs from the body without Christ, without having come to saving faith, there's one thing that awaits, the future judgment and wrath. It's too late. It's over. Now, some have tried to argue that the sin, the unforgivable sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, well, what that really, what it means is, is all the, those human beings who live this mortal life and never come to faith and repentance in Jesus and they die in their sin, they've now committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, See, that, that's true that it's too late, but I don't think that's what Jesus means. I don't think that's dealing honestly with the text. Listen to how Matthew again says it in chapter 12, verse 32. And whoever <clears throat> speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Either in this age or in the age to come. See, if the possibility of repentance were taken away only after physical death, then Jesus wouldn't have said that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit means you cannot be forgiven in this age and also the age to come. It refers to that act. I think, I think, to that, not that flippant act, but to that disposition of resistance that so belittles, so blatantly, the work of the Holy Spirit. And so consistently over time that he withdraws. He withdraws for good when it comes to his convicting power. And therefore that person will never repent. How are we Christians to live now in light of these words of Jesus. Here's my answer. Last week's sermon, the same context. If you haven't heard it, go back and hear it. In summary, fear, unbelief. And as you do, the more your assurance rises and you rest in this glorious salvation that the Holy Spirit has applied to your heart. That's the answer. In last week's sermon, it's the answer in the text, fear and belief. Fear not being a repentant person. Fear, hate the idea that your heart would be being hardened toward God, the things of God, the Gospel, 
evidenced in how you treat other people and how you treat God. See, remember last week, look, at, look up, I'm in Luke 12. We read in verse 4 to 5, Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they could do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear God, who after He is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. And now, verse 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges Me before men, the Son of Man will acknowledge before the angels of God. What a promise. But the one who denies Me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Okay. See, I made a comment last week that if you embrace Christ, in all your imperfections, you know, I believe that is salvation for my soul. I cling to Him. Then Jesus' words are not a discouragement. They're an encouragement. Now the Holy Spirit comes up here. It's going to come up again in a second. I'm going to close here in a minute. And, and here's the whole point. Is that you? Are you real? Okay. That's because the Holy Spirit applied salvation to your heart. When Jesus says these, these words that are on, they're scary, the point is this. You go, oh, yes, again. <laughs> Look, watch, my assurance of salvation is to rise today because of this sermon. Why? Because believers are those who, when they hear these words, they say, yuck! Ooh, I don't want to be denied. That's the work of the Spirit in you, if that's your response. Yuck! I'm not going there. It's been eight days, Joe. Time to soften your heart and repent. Believers say, I'm going to make my calling and my election sure. That's the way Peter put it. Right? Believers say, I'm going to take the words of Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 with dead, serious joy. Take care, brothers, sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Why is this important, Hebrew writer? 
Meaning, because we have come to share in Christ. If indeed, we hold our original confidence in Him firm to the end. You see, why is this in the Christian Bible? Why is it meant to be there in all three synoptics? Because the fact that there is such a thing as an unforgivable sin, that a person could come to the point of blasphemy, belittling the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit will no longer grant repentance. That fact is meant to drive those who are genuine away from sin throughout their life until they bury you with fear and trembling. None of us knows when our playing with sin will pass over into the permanent hardness of heart. So the writer says, take care. Take care. Be vigilant. Lest any of you have a heart that grows in its hardness, in its unbelief, and you prove to have been false all along. So many of us believers don't feel the seriousness of our sin. Instead, many professing Christians, they have a type of Christianity that takes God's justice so lightly that they have no idea what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is, oh gosh, understanding the Gospel. Now I can do it. Because it is, God, who is the one that is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Many people have the unbiblical idea that God's patience has no end. And that they can just turn away and sow their sin, live according to the flesh, Young people fall into this a lot. Thinking, I know, I know, I got, the, I got that. I got it all worked out, you know, about truth and gospel. I want to live a little bit. But, so, I'll go this long and then I'll repent down there. I'll get really serious with God. And they forget that there's a point of resistance in mocking the work of the Spirit, which so belittles him that he may withdraw forever. One commentator takes this whole sermon and just pictures it perfectly. Quote, These people, they are like the buzzard who spots a carcass on a piece of ice floating in the river. 
He lands and begins to eat. He knows it's dangerous because the falls are just ahead. But he looks at his wings and says to himself, I can fly to safety in an instant. And he goes on eating. Just before the ice goes over the falls, he spreads his wings to fly. But his claws are frozen in the ice. And there is no escape. Neither in this age, nor in the age to come. The spirit of holiness has forsaken the arrogant sinner forever. End quote. But, Jesus said, my sheep, they hear my voice. And therefore they love the glorious promises. They embrace them. They find their joy in them. And they pay close attention to the warnings. Because I like the promises too much. Of course, I want to go that way. The illustration last week on the cliff with the children. They don't wring their hands in misery at the picnic. They play. Until they come up to ten feet with the orange cones. It says, oh, that's right. Danger, I could die. Okay, let's go back here and enjoy God again. His sheep hear His voice. Every one of you who is a Christian, you hear His voice. Because the Holy Spirit, the one that others may blaspheme, you never will. Because He's in you. And that's why you hear His voice. Listen to the next thing He says to the original hearers, His disciples. In verse 11, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. Because the Holy Spirit who's in them, because they're real, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. Every believer, as you walk with Christ, should not tremble. I'm going to commit the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Oh my, oh me. No, you, you see that warning in your far away. Yeah. Oh, what a glorious salvation. But if you walk up to the edge, oh, count it a mercy of God in sanctification to you, believer, to turn, flee back, hug the neck of Jesus Christ, our Savior, hating and fleeing from the hardening of our hearts and from the sinful patterns of life. To the glory of His name. 
As Paul said, come on up, search. Work out your salvation. Yeah, with joy. Isn't that the work of the Spirit? Righteousness, peace, and joy. You got it. And it's not contradictory to working out your salvation. With fear and trembling. Because it is God, the sanctifier. It is God, the Holy Spirit, working in you on your desires, on your will, both to will and to work, in you for His good pleasure, which is our ultimate joy. Let's pray. Father, I, I beg that You take away any mishearing I beg that the work of your Holy Spirit so dominate in every mind and in every soul in here to the absolute exclusion of other spirits. That the result is in every one of us a deepening of our joy and contentment and thankfulness for what it is to be justified in Christ. For what it is to be in Holy Spirit communion through Christ. Do this work. Do this work in us. Your children to the glory of Jesus Christ.